Good morning. It's good to be together. Would you open your Bibles to uh, Hebrews chapter 13? Um, we're going to work our way through verses 7 through 14 this morning. Hebrews 13, verses 7 through 14. I'm going to begin this morning uh, by the reading of our text. Would you stand in the honor of reading of God's word? Thank you. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is God, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest is a sacrifice for sin, and they are buried outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Thank you, Lord, for your word. You can have a seat. I jump right in this morning because I believe there's enough illustrative power in the text that you don't need any more images so that the power of the images that are given are that much more bold. The text begins here in this uh, community, this better community kind of section of Hebrews. We're at the end of the letter. And uh, the points have already been made. The argument has already been made. And now here at the end of the letter is his direct application to this is how we must live. There are warnings still to be had. There's direction that's very specific. And it's all rooted on the foundation of Jesus Christ is better. This is what he's been saying all along. It's no surprise that here at the conclusion, he says it that much more boldly. We begin in verse 7, remember your leaders. Remember your leaders, specific leaders, not just every leader, not every civic leader, not every church leader, not every family leader, those specifically who taught you the word of God. These are the ones that I want you to remember, he says. These are the ones who spoke the word of God to you. No doubt, evoking a Hebrews chapter 11 kind of remembrance. We could go all the way back to the prophets, but most likely he's referring to where he finishes in this little section, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen to the one who taught you, who talked to you of the word of God. But don't only remember them because they were the ones who taught you the word of God. Remember them because I want you to see the outcome of the way they lived. I want you to see that there is a connection between what they taught and how they conducted themselves. 
And in so doing, it is a bit of the proof of the validity, the, the, the character of the person is shown over time. You've heard the saying before, truth and time go hand in hand. The outcome of their life matters most. That is to say, there are some who begin well, but the outcome of their life, their behavior, the things they said, finishing well is as important as beginning. And I would say, based on this text, what he's saying is look at the way, look at the way they finished. It is even more important than the way they began. Why? We're headed in a direction. The gospel is taking us in a direction. There is a city that God has made, that there's a city that we're headed towards. There's a kingdom that we're headed. Glory is still coming. And there are those who have finished well, and there are those who have not finished well. Look at those who have taught you the word of God and consider the outcome of their life and imitate them. Imitate them. Imitate specifically, imitate their faith. And I think that's very important for us today. Imitate their faith. Again, pointing to Hebrews 11, we walk through person by person, story by story, as we walk through Hebrews 11, and we realize uh, in a very short amount of time, these are men and women at best. These are not perfection. There is only one that walked the planet that is perfection, and that is Jesus Christ. But yet, God commended them for what? For their faith. For their faith. Remember them and imitate what? Imitate their faith. Not only Hebrews 11 kind of leaders, but we all have leaders in our lives. I camped out quite some time here on this concept this week. We all have leaders in our lives, and what do I do with the leaders in my life? It's easy to go to the men like John Kessler, who was the chair of the pastoral department and still is a good friend to this day. I was reminiscing with Josh Bennett this week, and uh, just last, uh, not last night, was it last night or the night before? Man, it's all running together. Josh Bennett, we were, we were sitting together, and Josh Bennett had uh, John Kessler also as his professor when he was at Moody Bible Institute. And uh, he talked about a time that sounded very similar to a moment that I experienced when I was John, with John Kessler, where he, he looked to the, to the students and he said, tell me about the, the great preachers and the great leaders of today. And all of the students, like myself, greenhorns at best, are talking about all of the, the super apostles of the day talking about all the qualities of the great preachers and the great leaders, and and he would write down all of the, the qualities on the whiteboard. And then when the moment came that the board was filled, he had everybody's attention, he turns to the board and says, what makes you think you're gonna be anything like this? Do you not know that 80% of pastors will pastor a church of 75 people or less? What makes you think you're going to be this kind of pastor, these mega apostles of our day? I love John Kessler for moments like that. He was a good leader. 
But what I love John Kessel the most for is when he walked me through John 4. <laughs> you see how it affects me? When he, when he talked me through the woman at the well, I will never forget how he taught me God's word. <laughs> John Kessler is just a man at best, though. There are things that John would say if he were standing before you right here today. The, one of the things I enjoyed about John the most is his vulnerability and his willingness to, talk, to say it like it is and to not be fake in front of his students. He would stand here before you today and he would say, Here's my shortcomings. Here's where I have failed in ministry. Here's where I, where, where I was faithful, and here's where I was not faithful. Imitate his faith, is what the scriptures say. We are not called to imitate their methodology. We're not called to imitate their gifts. I remember going to a conference at Mars Hill when Mars Hill still existed, a resurgence conference. And I listened to the pastor, Matt Chandler, talk about everybody's idolization of Mark Driscoll, this before Mark Driscoll's fall. And he looked us in the eye and he said, don't you dare try to imitate Mark Driscoll. We all were trying to imitate Mark Driscoll. Here's why. Here's why. This text says you need to look at the end. Don't just look at how they began. Don't just look at their fame. You need to look at how they end. So before you begin to imitate a specific preacher or pastor or father or mother, or teacher in your life, or pastor on the TV. Before you begin imitating a faithful person, you might want to consider you haven't seen the end yet. We're not called to be clones. We're called to be our own person before the living God. To be used of the Lord, but yet there is something we are to imitate. What is it? We're to imitate their faith. We come to know our leaders quite well. We see their sin and their humanity, do we not? Did they trust God? Did they trust their own skills? When life got hard, what did they do? When the persecution came, what did they say? And friends, listen to me carefully. What this scripture is telling me is that I get to distinguish from their sin and their faithlessness and where they really were faithful to God. Not one of us is the sum of our sin. None of us is the sum of our sin. That's not our identity. There are those who we've walked with in life and they, they actually have hurt us deeply because we love and we revere their ministry in our life. But yet they're just human beings. Yet there are, there are seasons and there are times of great faithfulness in their life. And there are seasons of not being faithful. And what does the scripture say? I'm not supposed to imitate their gifts. I'm not supposed to imitate their, their, uh, their methodology. I'm not supposed to imitate their faithlessness. But what am I supposed to imitate? I'm supposed to imitate their faith. That they trusted God. I can sit well with that. 
that. That, that is the context of this verse that, that is, uh, is so, so famous in our heart and our mind. That is the context of, of the writer of Hebrews saying, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think it's, the, the reason why is because these people, just like us, have experienced the humanity of their leaders. And when he calls them to faith, he has to point them to the greatest teacher, the greatest leader of all, who never changes. Yesterday, today, and forever. The theological term here is Jesus is immutable. He can never change. Who he is when we watch him standing at the well with this woman is the same Jesus we see walking to the cross is the same Jesus we see clearing the temple before that ever happened, is the same Jesus we see on high, seated at the right hand of the Father, Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is the Jesus who you receive as Savior. It's not only that he is unchanging, but what this text is pointing us to what this text is pointing us to is that he cannot be separated from what he did. We don't just look at Jesus as a theological topic up on a whiteboard. What Jesus did is he went to a cross and he bore the sin for the church. And he became our substitute, our sacrifice. He became sin so that we, you and I, might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that truth of who he is is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You want to have a sense of security this morning? (laughs) What he has accomplished for you is secure, rooted deeply in the heart of God. And it will never, ever change. That's good news, amen? Amen. All leaders, this text is going to tell us, all leaders are not for our good. There's another warning here. We've heard some really stern warnings. This one is about something that maybe is happening and and the warning is so, so loud because he wants them to know it may happen again. Beware. All leaders are not for your good. All leaders are not teaching the truth of God's word. Remember the ones who have taught you God's word, he says. But don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. Reminds me of that moment, if you remember in the reading of Acts When Paul comes towards the end of his ministry, towards the end of his life, he knows he's going to to Rome and he's not coming back. And he stops to visit the elders at Ephesus. Do you remember? He said, be careful. Because from within your own midst there will come wolves. What are they going to do? They're going to twist the word of God. Strange and diverse teachings. And they're going to draw away disciples after themselves. Be careful. 
Paul said. Don't be led away by strange teachings. In this text, I see three characteristics of false teaching. Certainly there are more. There's an entire doctrine of false teaching. There are three characteristics I want to point out in this text of false teaching. False teaching, first of all, is diverse and strange. Diverse, the, the picture you could get in your mind here, it's the same word that's used in the Septuagint for Joseph's coat of many colors. It's extremely colorful, it's extremely flashy, and everybody wanted it. Strange. The word strange can be interpreted alien or foreign. It's not from here. And the picture here is that it's a teaching that you don't find in the word of God. You don't find it upheld and supported and consistent with what's taught in God's word. There is diverse, shiny, many-colored teachings that are strange and don't come and are, are not consistent with God's word. Robert Peterson says this, this is what false teaching is like. It is dazzling to behold. In the place of plain truth, it presents something enticing from every viewpoint. In metalworking, this word is used of alloys like brass. Brass is made up of copper and zinc. So too, false teaching False teaching mixes the, the, heavily, the heavenly with the worldly. It is no longer one or the other. It is, a, it is a mix of the two. Divine revelation with human reason. It blends and collaborates rather than preserves the pure substance. Things described by these words are complex and not clear. They're intricate and not plain. <laughs> Isn't it good to know? With simple minds. How many of you got a simple mind in here? With simple minds, I can understand and I can learn and I can explain with clarity the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't have to have fanciful ideas. I don't have to come up with with new ideas. There is nothing new under the sun when it comes to the gospel. False teaching, second characteristic, false teaching doesn't strengthen. It doesn't strengthen. The word strengthen here is to establish or to stabilize, to give a firm foundation. False teaching does not give any firm foundation. The opposite of this is unstable. It's it's wavering. It's, It's being built on sand. So when the trouble of life comes. When the waters come, what happens? The foundation rushes away and what you've built is destroyed. And what the scripture says here is that it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by foods. Isn't it interesting that he says that our heart is strengthened by grace and not by foods? when really what he's talking about here is false teaching. Wouldn't it make more sense that he would say, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by truth and not by food? Here's why. They they do have a truth problem. There is a truth problem that's going through the camp of, of these Jews. 
But it's in the area of where grace, where the grace of God is found. So he points their attention away from what they're using as a substitute for finding grace and says, listen, you're not going to find stability there. There's a truth that you're missing, and it is found in where true grace is found. Does that make sense? The heart isn't strengthened by food. It's strengthened by the grace of God. False teaching that is common to these Jewish believers is that there is something about what you can eat or don't eat that gives firm footing. If I eat the right thing, if I eat enough of the right thing, if I eat it at the right time, if I don't eat this and I don't eat it for enough time, if there's something about a food issue that's going on here, and he says, if, 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 if what you've bought into is that if you do it right, you will find peace, you will find rest, you will find your best life now. It's not the only time that food is addressed in the scriptures. Romans chapter 14 and 17 says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Do you see the contrast there? It's obvious, is it not? It's not about eating and drinking. It's not about what we put into our body. It's about what the Spirit of God has done and is doing by the Word of God internally in the heart of God's people. 1 Corinthians 8.8, food will not commend us to God. How could it be more clear, right? We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. That's why I can eat as many Oreos as I want. <laughs> that verse. That's so not true. <laughs> Just so you know, that's so not true. Colossians 2.16 says, Let no one pass judgment on you and question food and drink. This is not where salvation is found. Now, now eating the right foods, is, there's, there's something of value to it. Right? There's something of value of caring for this earthly tent. There's something of value to it, but there is of much greater value to what God is doing on the inside rather than what I can do by shaping the outside. One is of temporal importance and one is of eternal importance. The category we're talking about here is legalism. Legalism. Legalism is, is the ability to legislate do's and don'ts so that if I would achieve them, if I would do them rightly or don't do them adequ adequately, I can raise my standing before a holy God. Legislating righteousness. Wouldn't that be good if we could do that? Would just post a list of do's and don'ts out in the foyer and we can police each other as to whether we're actually doing well or not and encourage one another by the doing and the don'ting of our lives. Oh, you're doing well this week. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Legalism. In legalism, there's, there's really no need for the grace of God. I can follow a man-made food rules kind of life and make God like me. <laughs> this is Coke machine Christianity. In Coke machine Christianity, I grab my cup, 
I walk up to the Coke machine, I press in the lever, and out dispenses what? Coca-Cola. In the same manner, I walk up to God. I do what I think I'm supposed to do. I follow all my rules. In a mechanical way, the, the, the grace of God is dispensed through my doing or my don'ting. No matter the repentance of my heart, no matter my acknowledgement of a savior or need of a savior. And here's the thing. When, when that mechanical dispensing, when it runs out, what do I do? I double down. I go back because Coke is kind of addicting, is it not? I go back for more. It didn't last It's leaky grace, so to speak. There's a hole in my cup. And when it leaks out, I go back, I double down, I get that much more discipline, I do another Bible study, I go to church, I wear three masks instead of one. A little more self-loathing, a little more emotion, a little more discipline, and no rest for my soul. So where does the stability come from? The text says it comes by the grace of God. It comes by the grace of God alone. Through Christ, faith in him, by by grace we are saved. Through faith in Jesus Christ, what he has accomplished, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not leaky grace. It is as secure as it could ever be. Third characteristic here in this text. False teaching demands your devotion. False teaching, teaching, it it demands your devotion. Devotion is a worship kind of word. It's worship language. What I am devoted to, I am, in a sense, I am worshiping. When it comes to salvation, we don't have an external eat the right food kind of problem. No, we have an internal worship problem. The author here says that these false false teachers have told them to, to be devoted to the food issue. Devote yourself to eating the right thing or not eating the wrong thing. See to it. See to it that you're not caught not devoting yourself to the food. Do you see it? Do you see it? Let it be exposed. Let it be exposed in your own heart. On the surface, it's a food issue, but underneath, it's a devotion issue. The big question is this. Let the Spirit of God expose your heart right now. What and where does your devotion lie? That's the question. Where does your devotion lie? Does it lie with loyalty to the rules, to the do's and the don'ts, to the appearances? Or does your devotion lie with Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever?
How do I evaluate? How do I evaluate? My, my devotion and what I love the most can be a bit deceiving. If I don't pause in my life, if I don't pause in my day at some point and, and evaluate what it is that I love the most, a couple of big categories. Where are you spending your time? Where are you spending your time? Where are you spending your money? Right, where your, where your money is, where your treasure is, there your heart is, right? What comes out of your mouth? What's going on inside eventually comes out. It comes out in words. It comes out in actions. It comes out in your relationships. What's happening in your conversations? What's happening in your relationships? What do you love the most? It's coming out of you every day. It comes out in where you spend your time. It comes out in where you spend your money. It comes out in where you spend your emotional energy. I've only got so much. I've only got so much to give. And where I give it, where I invest all of my emotional energy, most likely is what I'm devoted to. How do I know my emotional energy is devoted to it? Take it away and see what emotions go out. See how you respond. Pause. Pause and pray. What am I devoted to? Why don't you close your eyes, bow your head, and let's just take a moment to say, Lord, Lord, would you search my heart? Would you see me in ways that maybe I don't even see myself? Would you ferret out, would you, would, you, would you bring the dross to the surface, those things that I love most? Those things that when life is really hard, I run to them instead of running to you. When the pain gets so great, where do I run? when the loneliness is so great, when the disappointment sets in, where do you run? And what the false teachers would say? (laughs) The false teachers would encourage you in that. They would say, that's a really good idea. Wherever it is that you've been running other than Christ, insert that into this text. The false teachers would make some kind of a religious system out of it. They would make some kind of an advertisement on TV. They would flash it on Facebook all the time, and your friends would be talking about it as much as you want it. False teachers, they want your devotion. And Jesus says, I will share what? I will share my glory with no one. Worship God alone. Love him most. Let's move on in our text here. Our, Our teacher, our writer, our author of Hebrews, he has a gospel teaching for us here. 
And he begins in verse 10 by saying, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the body of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. The author's gospel teaching here, it evokes again a contrast between the old covenant sacrificial system and that which Christ has provided for all time. Not just any altar is talked about here in this text. It is the the altar of, of sin sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. And you can read about it in Leviticus chapter 16. I would encourage you to go back there this week and read about the Day of Atonement in Leviticus chapter 16. Once a year, five animals are gathered and were used for sacrifice for the temple and for the elements of service and for the priests and for the people. A bull and a ram for the atonement for the priest. The bull was sacrificed as a sin offering and the ram was used as a burnt offering for the priest. Then two goats and a ram were taken from the people for the atonement of the people. The goats were a sin offering. The ram was a burnt offering. Two goats, because one goat was, was brought before the tent of meeting and, and was, uh, the, the priest would lay his hands on the goat's head and in so, so doing ceremonially lay the sins of the people on that goat and that goat was led out into the wilderness to never be found again. And then another goat, along with the ram, was sacrificed. The blood of the bull and the goat was used was used for worship and cleansing and atonement for the priest and then cleansing and atonement for the tabernacle and all of the elements of the tabernacle. The fat of these two animals, which is the, the very best part, the abundant part of the animal, was placed on the altar as a sacrifice to the Lord. He gets the best. Normally, portions of the meat were given to the priests for food. In offerings like a thank offering or a peace offering, the priest would get to benefit and taste the goodness of God. But in the sin offering, all that was left of the bull and the goat was taken outside the camp and burned as a sin offering to the Lord. You have to hear the anticipation that was built into that system. The sin offering, not able to eat. Thank offering you eat, the peace offering you eat, the sin offering outside the camp, burn it all, no eating. (laughs) So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. This is where the old covenant finds its completion in Jesus Christ. Just as the sin of a nation was placed upon the goat, the sin of the church, the children of God, the elect, is placed upon Jesus Christ. Just as the animal blood was shed as a sin offering, the blood of Christ was shed for you and for me. Just as the bull and the goat were taken outside the camp to a place that is unclean, to be destroyed, 
So Jesus' body was raised on a cross outside the camp on a garbage heat in disgrace. Just as the animals were completely consumed by fire, verse 10, a sacrifice the old covenant priest was not allowed to eat. Listen, this is the, this is the punchline, listen. Always longing for the completion for a day when Jesus, the better sacrifice, the the better sacrifice was completely given up for you and for me so that by faith we might feast on Christ our Savior and be made holy. Not in some mechanical way of eating food, but by faith for those who repent and have a need for a savior brought before their eyes and they say, there's my savior. And where is he? He He's outside the camp. Verse 13, therefore let us go to him. Let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured for here we have no lasting city but we seek a city that is to come. The the outside-the-camp imagery is so important here. Listen, when Moses came down off of Mount Sinai and the people were worshiping a calf and he was devastated and he needed to go and meet with God, where did Moses go? Moses set a tent up outside the camp to meet with God and he pled with God for their safety and their security. And as it turns out, God only killed 3,000 of them as a sacrifice for the rest. Outside the camp, Moses met with God. In the law, when a person was found to be unclean by the priest, where where were they sent? They were sent outside the camp. Outside the camp, God provided a cleansing that there they, they met with God and were provided for so that they could come back into the camp and be part of the fellowship of God's people, worshiping God. And the cross, the cross of Christ was outside the camp. And so the text says, let us go to him. Let's, let us go to him outside the camp, bearing the reproach that our Savior bore. F.F. Bruce says it this way, now in the person of Jesus, God had again been rejected in the camp. His presence was therefore to be enjoyed outside the camp where Jesus was. And everyone who sought him, who sought God, must go out and approach him through Jesus outside the camp. God never intended salvation to be found inside the establishment of the practices of Judaism. The old covenant, the the religious system of Judaism, though it is holy, though it is good, it was always the gospel in seed form. It is Jesus, our Savior, who is the gospel in full bloom, tree form. It doesn't get any clearer. Outside the camp is not just a physical location. The physical location was always pointing to another, a place where by faith we find a lasting city. We find a kingdom 
the kingdom of God. Friends, eternal life will never be found in the accomplishments of this world. The kingdom of God will will never be found in a perfect republic. Grace will never be found in achievements of any amount of piety or emotion. And now for us, we, we bear the name of Christ. As we go to him outside the camp, we go to others. We go to others who they too need to know. It's not in the establishment. It's not in the religiosity that's found in this world. You must go outside the camp to find Jesus. And so we are an outside the camp kind of people. That's what our next sermon in Hebrews 13 is going to be about. What does it look like to be outside the camp kind of people? Peterson says this. He says, Jesus' whole ministry and message were outside the pale of worldly religion. And so he became an object of scorn and abuse. You hear that? They hated him because he didn't play the religious game. Outside the gate, he suffered and died. In that separation, a principle is established for all who would come to God through him. Outside the camp is where we go to find the grace of God. For that is where the cross was raised, where God meets with us to forgive our sins and to accept us in the righteousness of the Son whom the world despised. And if they despised him, I'm sorry. If they despised him, they will despise us too. Everywhere you serve people in Jesus' name, reproach will be experienced. Every parent who serves their children in Jesus' name bears the reproach. Every public servant who bears the name of Christ will bear the reproach of Christ. Every person who wants to walk with Jesus by faith must go outside the camp. There is no other way. So to meet with Christ, you and I must take on the reproach of the cross. How's this for a feel-good sermon this morning? To gain Christ... Here's the punchline of this this text. To gain Christ, I can't just have good intentions of losing my life. (laughs) To gain Christ, I have to lose my life. I cannot gain Christ without losing me. More of him and less of me is a reality. It is not just something I assent to. It is in my relationships. It is in my work. It is in my leadership. It is in my teaching. It is in every part of my life that God places this weight on my shoulders. And this, too, is where the grace of God is found. Because I can't do that. 
I can't do that. I can't gut it out. I can't boot my, bootstrap myself uh, through that kind of life. I need a savior. I need one who gives more, more grace than the sin of my disobedience. <laughs> he needs to meet me in that. And he does. Every day and every week. Salvation is found by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever.